You are listening to Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs. This presentation is ARS heavy, so grab your clickers. We're going to get started with Is It Vasculitis? Um, again, my uh, conflicts are not uh, pertinent to this talk. So let's jump right into this case. Pretty impressive morphology, really interesting rash. These are the really fun, um, exciting ones when they do hit the clinic. But this is a 19-month-old male. He's had a problem with recurrent otitis. He has had several courses of amoxicillin clavulanate over the past three months. And recently, he was febrile again with ear pain, and he got the same antibiotic. Um, on day six of his treatment, he developed this really impressive eruption and some edema and swelling of the extremities. He's irritable, but otherwise asymptomatic. His inflammatory markers are a little elevated, but all other labs are normal. Here he is hanging out in clinic. He doesn't look too bothered, doesn't really look you know, toxic. In the sick or not sick, you might be classifying him more towards the non-sick, non but certainly the rash is impressive and we want to give it a name and know what to do. So let's talk about this. What's your diagnosis here? Is it erythema multiforme, HSP, Hinoxianlein purpura, systemic lupus, serum sickness, like reaction, or acute hemorrhagic edema of infancy? Okay, well this is great. I think we're gonna really um, learn a lot here um, because the correct diagnosis is actually D and only 7% of you got it, so I think we're gonna learn some new pearls here. So this re um, rash, though it does tend to mimic erythema multiforme, certainly is not consistent with erythema multiforme, and let's talk about why. So if we are talking about serum sickness-like reaction, is it, is it a vasculitis, yes or no? That's all we need there. Okay, 50-50. So this is great. We're gonna, we're gonna learn a ton. So what is serum sickness-like reaction? It's a rare adverse drug reaction that is characterized by fever and rash and arthralgia. And the rash looks just like what I showed you. Dramatic, purple, almost fixed purpuric appearing plaques. They're very annular, serpiginous and it tends to present about seven to 21 days after antigen exposure. Patients with serum sickness-like reaction can have a few systemic findings like arthralgia, fever, lymphadenopathy, but in general, it's, it's self-limited. It's self it's clinically similar to, but pathogenically different from true serum sickness-like reaction, which was described more with the horse protein and antigen exposure, um, which is a vasculitis with immune complex deposition where you can also have renal failure. In serum sickness-like reaction, the kidneys are not affected. Serum sickness-like reaction is seen mostly in the setting to oral antibiotics. It's kind of a theme that I'm gonna build upon here in the next few slides, infection plus antibiotics. There seems to be some immune dysregulation and hypersensitivity that can occur when those two things are going together. Classically, SSLR was associated with Cefaclor. That antibiotic isn't utilized as widely as it used to be, and serum sickness can be associated with many different antibiotic exposures, most often the beta-lactams, but a wide variety of agents have been implicated. 
Um, one study has kind of demonstrated that it might actually be to toxic metabolites from the antibiotic. And so depending on your genetics and how you metabolize things, you might be more predisposed to this type of reaction. And it might be more the, inter the intermediates that are reacting to rather than the actual drug, like a type 1 hypersensitivity. In most patients, the diagnosis is made clinically, and actually, surprisingly, with that dramatic of, an, of a skin eruption, you don't really need to biopsy it. Um, if you do biopsy it, it's gonna look very much like urticaria or a neutrophilic urticaria. There aren't very many papers on the histopathology of serum sickness-like reaction, um, but it does have that neutrophilic urticarial appearance to it histopathologically. Um, if you obtain labs, you might notice an elevated white count, and acute phase reactants might be elevated, um, but in general, the children are otherwise well. So in the pediatric dermatology world, we would have in our main differential this entity, urticaria multiforme, which is distinct from erythema multiforme, which is what most of you chose as the diagnosis. And again, I think both of these conditions are mimickers for erythema multiforme, and it can get kind of confusing. So what is urticaria multiforme? Well, again, another benign hypersensitivity eruption that you can see in the setting of viral illness and exposure to antibiotics. And it onsets one to three days after the viral syndrome. It's not associated with arthralgia or um, acute phase reactant elevation in most cases. I like to think of this again as you know, infection, usually viral in infancy, plus an oral antibiotic, systemic antibiotic exposure, and then this kind of dermal hypersensitivity reaction that's occurring. Lesions are very urticarial, they're annular, they're larger than what you would expect with erythema multiforme, which tend to be a little smaller and more you know, classically targetoid. These have dusky centers and central clearing. And so, I would say that serum sickness-like reaction and this entity, urticaria multiforme, have very similar um, clinical morphologies. They both can look a little bit dusky or hemorrhagic. They have annular plaques. They both are very reassuring because they tend to have self-limited and benign presentations. And interestingly, both do respond nicely to oral antihistamines. This is a situation where you don't want to be giving prednisone um, or systemic corticosteroids necessarily. Um, antihistamines usually will do the trick. So here's another great example of what we would call urticaria multiforme, and I understand completely why this looks confusing and it looks like erythema multiforme. Um, EM being reactive mostly to HSV. You can see those targetoid dusky papules on the palms and soles. Um, this is a little bit different. Um, these are younger um, children with more larger lesions and not classically um, target-like. They look more urticarial with dusky centers. And it's usually in the setting of a toddler who has had a febrile viral illness and an antibiotic exposure. And so you can see these do look very similar side by side. And actually, this is switched. That, that, that's actually uh, not correct. So this one is, I'm sorry, I don't know how I missed that. This is the serum sickness-like reaction. This is the urticaria multiforme. I'm not sure how that happened. Sorry, guys. Serum sickness-like reaction improves with withdrawal of the antibiotic. But if you re-expose the patient, it will recur. Treatment is generally supportive. Again, I mentioned oral antihistamines. Systemic steroids are sometimes used, but rarely needed. Maybe if there's more fever, more arthralgia, um, it's, it's not common to need it. Okay, 
So case two, we're going to move on here. This is a 10-year-old male, otherwise healthy, but he was recently hospitalized for abdominal pain, lower extremity edema, and this kind of purpuric papular eruption that has gone on to become more erosive um, over the last couple of days. He was treated with azithromycin, but his fever and sore throat continued. So this is a close-up of what the ankle um, was looking more like. Um, he has no significant past medical history. He has some rheumatologic family history with a mother with psoriatic arthritis. Um, labs were slightly elevated in terms of white count and CRP, and a peripheral smear showed thrombocytosis and leukocytosis. And here's a couple more pictures of this patient who is more um, ill-appearing than the other that we saw. So what's your diagnosis here? Is this Henoch-Schonlein purpura? Is this a vasculitis, an ANCA-positive vasculitis? Cryoglobulinemia? Is this more concerning for SJS or TEN? Is this pyodermic gangrenosum? Okay. Okay, great. Everyone, um, I think, is more in the ballpark on this, and, and that's wonderful to see. So this is HSP. Is HSP vasculitis, yes or no? Okay. You're right, it is. So HSP is a true vasculitis. It's an IgA-mediated small muscle vasculitis that affects the skin, joints, GI tract, and kidney, very rarely the CNS. It's the most common cause of vasculitis in children, ages four to 11 are most commonly affected, and it has that, that tetrad of clinical features, including palpable purpura, arthralgia, abdominal pain, and hematuria. Diagnostic criteria is proposed by the American College of Rheumatology. It's fairly broad. Um, two of these criteria, palpable purpura, young age of onset, abdominal pain that's worth with, worse with eating, and evidence of leukocytoclastic vasculitis, or LCV, um, are very sensitive. Two or more are 87% sensitive and specific, but possibly that might even be too broad. You can see how palpable purpura in a young age may not necessarily be HSP. Um, and just to remind you that leukocytoclasis is the term given to describe the nuclear debris on, on histopathologic finding um, from infiltrating neutrophils around those small little vessels in the dermis. Palpable purpura is usually present with HSP, um, and then often abdominal pain and the arthralgias precede that. The renal involvement, though we're looking for it and we're aware of it, is less common. Only 10% of patients do get the IgA nephritis associated with HSP, but it has a poor prognosis and they need nephrology um, follow-up. The tricky thing about the renal involvement is that it can be with onset or it can be late. And so we need to keep following these patients and their UAs and blood pressures so that we don't miss a late um, renal involvement. HSP has been associated with more serious symptoms and um, associations over, over time. Intussusception and intestinal perforation have been associated, um, and then rarely CNS involvement. 
So this is a more typical appearing HSP, and I'm going to compare and contrast this case with my first case that I showed you, which I think is a little trickier, a little more advanced. So you can see here the typical purpuric papules on the buttocks. You can tell that that knee is swollen, lower extremities. And this is a really good case of, of classic Kinoch-Shanline purpura. But back to our case, our patient had a more bullous um, presentation. And I just wanted to bring to light that bullous HSP has been described in the literature and that it does carry the same prognosis, no different time to resolution. Our case was really tricky though. He kept getting that strep infection. He was a carrier and it seemed that the chronic strep was flaring this and it lasted for a long time. So in our case, we actually had to go to a steroid sparing agent for him. Um, he never had renal involvement, but we definitely um, had some improvement with Dapsone. So we discontinued the prednisone and continued him on Dapsone following also his UA and BP. So most of the time, HSP treatment is, is supportive. Sometimes NSAIDs are helpful. Um, prednisone doesn't prevent nephritis, but it is one of the treatments for nephritis. So in more severe cases, it's not wrong to go to prednisone in, in these patients. Um, can be useful, again, for the abdominal pain. Um, in more chronic or recurrent cases, steroid-sparing agents like Dapsone and Colchicine may have benefit as they did in our patient, and then we do need to follow the urinalysis. The frequency of follow-up for UA with HSP is somewhat controversial, but it seems that UA every two weeks um, for a month, and then monthly the UA and BP um, is fairly standard, and we work closely with our pediatric rheumatologists, and over time this is what we've, what we've be what's become standard in our clinic. All right, moving on. This is our third case. This is a 12-month-old female with a recent URI. I think you're getting the theme here, viral infection, bacterial infection, plus exposures. Um, and she has presented with um, a rapidly involving skin rash and facial edema. And she's otherwise well-looking well and interactive. Um, the parents, however, um, are being questioned in the ED about bruises on her lower, lower legs and trunks, and this is what she looked like. Okay, so what's your diagnosis here, everyone? Is it A, meningococcemia, child abuse, acute hemorrhagic edema of infancy, giant urticaria, or systemic lupus? Okay, great. So 80% got this right, which is wonderful. So this is acute hemorrhagic edema of infancy. Is it vasculitis, though? Yes or no? Okay. All right. Yes. So... Um, the, the right answer here is actually yes, not no, and I'll explain why. So, um, acute hemorrhagic edema of infancy, that's a really long name and hard to say over and over again, but I'll try, is a rare but benign form of true vasculitis. You will see leukocytoclasis and, on biopsy in these patients. And it usually occurs, again, in the setting of a viral illness. 
in children under the age of two, and you get these ecomotic purpuric plaques on the face, sometimes the ear, the thighs, and you can have, again, edema of the face and extremities. Sometimes it spares the trunk. And the children are well and asymptomatic. And so the dramatic lesions are really in contrast to this like well-appearing toddler in the emergency room. Acute hemorrhagic edema of infancy, I think, is a big mimicker, and especially with child abuse. That's another a, a time when we are often um, called, maybe, well, not often, because it's rare, so a couple times a year, maybe, um, when we would be called to the emergency room, is this child abuse, do these look like bruises? Um, but thankfully, um, that's not the case. So due to considerable overlap with HSP, some um, rheumatologists and pediatric dermatologists feel that this might be the toddler or infantile variant of HSP. And here is a little chart comparing and contrasting. So with HSP, the age of onset is usually mid-childhood. This one, acute hemorrhagic edema of infancy, presents in toddlers. It, it's often on the face, ears, and extremities um, versus an HSP. The lower extremities and buttock are most commonly um, affected. The size of the lesion, I think, helps. In acute hemorrhagic edema of infancy, the lesions tend to be larger or so-called medallion-sized. In HSP, they're, they're small little papules, and you can usually see them. They often coalesce, but they start as smaller. Um, acute hemorrhagic edema of infancy isn't really reported to recur, but HSP certainly can. Um, histopathologically, they are similar with LCV and IgA deposition. Um, and then acute hemorrhagic edema of infancy tends to be a little more benign and self-limited and no renal involvement there. So that's differences between the two. So acute hemorrhagic edema of infancy has an excellent prognosis, most resolved within three weeks, um, no treatments necessary, and true recurrences are unlikely. Okay, moving on. So case four is a three-year-old boy, and he's kind of had a longer history here. This is different than the other three cases. He's tired, he's refusing to wait there. We think he's in pain. He's had this rash for about five or six months. He's had a little weight loss. He has some transaminitis. Um, labs are a little low, so his white count and hemoglobin and platelets are all just a little low. And on exam, you can see these violaceous papules on the dorsum of his hands and more necrotic appearing papules on the knees. So what do we see? Here's his face and exam of his knees. Okay, what's your diagnosis? Lupus, juvenile dermatomyositis, Dago's disease, linear IgA bolus disease of childhood, or systemic sclerosis? Okay, great. Everyone got this, and I'm so proud of you. That's wonderful. It's a tricky one, I think. But is it vasculitis? Is it a true form of vasculitis? I like this music, it's getting me a little energized. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so no, you're right. It's not really a true vasculitis, but it can be vasculopathic. And in some cases, there can be GI vasculopathy um, plus minus true vasculitis. But in the skin, it's not a true vasculitis. So JDM is a systemic inflammatory disease. It's more common in girls. It has this bimodal age peak of between three and five and then later on in early adolescence. And unlike adult dermatomyositis, JDM is not associated with malignancy. Patients with suspected JDM obviously require referral to pediatric dermatology and rheumatology, and we co-manage our patients at the University of Minnesota with our rheumatology colleagues. 
JDM affects the skin, striated muscles, and occasionally other organs, like the joints, fairly common, the arthritis, GI tract, lungs, and heart, very rarely. But the characteristic rash is really well um, demonstrated in this patient, I think, that kind of lilac-colored so-called heliotrope rash with a little bit of edema on the upper eyelids. Um, you get the malar erythema, that kind of photosensitivity um, eruption. Gotrans papules, and then periungual erythema and dilated nail fold loops are the most common other findings. I think this is a nice picture of a teen um, that has a lot of the features of, of JDM that you would be looking for. So you can see, especially that right eyelid, that erythema and swelling. She's got a little malar erythema. And then this interesting, more reticulate pattern um, along the V of the neck. And there's a lot of little white papules there that look mildly atrophic. And this is a pattern that I've seen um, in some of my juvenile dermatomyositis patients. Um, the lesions on the elbows, a little bit of cutaneous calcinosis there, which can sometimes be at presentation or later. And then that one ivory white papule with a little rim of erythema that looks quite concerning, almost looks like a Dago's-like lesion if you've ever seen one of those. But again, just highlighting that this is a little bit of a vasculopathy here, that there's not enough blood supply um, to the skin in some of these areas. And I think you can see this nicely on the on this photo, which has a nice demonstration of a Gotrans papule, kind of a little bit annular, a little bit raised, but again, that white center that looks a little atrophic, and those are concerning. So with JDM, other um, cutaneous manifestations include ulcerations, and those predict a more severe course. Calcinosis is usually a late manifestation, and it can occur in any plane, so along the fascia, in the subcutis, um, and in the skin. And then lipodystrophy is also described as a late manifestation in JB JDM and is associated with um, metabolic syndrome-like abnormalities, something to watch for. And so these children are treated in a multidisciplinary fashion. They get systemic therapy with corticosteroids, methotrexate, hydrochloroquine, um, and in more severe disease, um, these are given either IV or IVIG, and sometimes um, rarely cyclophosphamide is needed. Okay, last case. This is a 13-year-old female. She's otherwise well, and she has this net-like, really kind of slightly violaceous plaque that's a little bit itchy on the left thigh. Um, it's been present for six months. It was initially a little bit more red than this, and no other affected areas. She's otherwise totally well. Um, she is a very avid lacrosse player. So what's your diagnosis here? Is this Livido reticularis? Systemic lupus with antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, PAN. Is this a fungal infection? Could this be an angioinvasive? Like it looks a little bit retiform. Or is this erythema abignae? So go. All right. Okay, great. So some people going in with libido reticularis, um, which is something that I would have thought as well. Um, but this is actually E, erythema abignae. Is erythema abignae, is that a vasculitis? Okay. Correct, it is not. So. Um, what is erythema abignae? It's kind of rare. We see it from time to time in clinic, and I think it is one of those stumper cases. 
Um, it's a benign inflammation of the skin that's caused by increased temperatures, but just a little below that threshold of a thermal burn. And the hyperpigmentation that you see in that net-like area corresponds to the dermal plexus, the venous plexus. And chronic vasodilation, they think, is resulting in this hemosiderin kind of leakage into the skin. You can also get epidermal atrophy, which is a sign if you do biopsy it on histopathology that is, um, that's prominent. So you can actually have atrophy, vacuolar changes at the basal layer, and then of course the hyperpigmentation can be seen. And why is it unilateral? That's why this one stumped me, and I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I actually did biopsy that one, but I did. Um, but why is it unilateral? That's why I couldn't figure out if she was using a heating pad, wouldn't it be both you know, legs, or if it was her computer, why wouldn't it be on both thighs? Well, it turns out that um, some laptops have the fan on the left-hand side, and so you're getting hot air propelled at the skin only on on the left, and this has actually been reported in other patients. Maybe it's a PC thing, not a Mac thing. I don't know. So um, in conclusion, serum sickness-like reactions should be on your radar. That's the one where you know I think we had the most um, learning curve today for that case. It's dramatic, but it's usually self-limited and benign. It can mimic urticaria multiforme and erythema multiforme, and also can mimic vasculitis in children, but it's not a true vasculitis. HSP and acute hemorrhagic edema of infancy are the most common true vasculitis processes in children, and they share a lot of overlapping features. JDM is a serious inflammatory disease and may present like a cutaneous vasculitis. Erythema ebigny is a good mimicker, um, and it may mimic vasculitis in children and teens who are using heating pads or other heat um, sources. So thanks for your attention. There's my kids and my husband. <laughs> This has been a presentation of Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs.